You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Oh, yeah, I think they left. Teenager, you may leave. You're released, okay? If you identify as a teenager, you may leave, okay? I know inside you feel like a teenager, but the reality is a different story, right? Come on. Well, today I want to talk to you a little bit about something that's really a core value for us as a church, Um, and it's around salvation creates proper identity. You can almost say that salvation creates um, joyful identity. Woo! Come on. Come on, Bill. Get excited. That's one thing I don't have to worry about Bill. Bill's always excited. And when you ever get around Bill, you'll know that he loves Jesus because he tells everybody. And, you know, I just want to say this. It's kind of, like, it's kind of the way we should all be. Seriously. I mean, you know, we, we get beat down by the cares of life, by routines, by our jobs, by our kids. Kids beat us up a lot, right? And, um, you know, by, by politics and by everything that's a distraction that goes on around us. And we forget who lives on the inside of us. So this, I think this message is going to be kind of more of a review of kind of a reset of how we need to view who we are in Christ, and that's what I hope you're going to get out of this today. So, you know, when we get saved, we, we move from one kingdom to the next kingdom. We move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, amen? And I, let's put this slide up on Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. How many of you are glad about that, right? Come on. And Jesus has won absolute victory over darkness and absolute victory over the darkness that was in your life. Come on, somebody. When you had an encounter with Jesus and you gave your life to him, Every bit of that darkness that was blocking out who he was in your life just vanished. Just, it just went away. Now, that, that was my experience. Maybe you didn't have that experience. But it, it, it's like an instantaneous feel of like you went from darkness to light. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, I had such a radical encounter with God. And... Um, it was, it was in that place that I understood that he had freed me from the power of sin. He had freed me from the power of the enemy uh, in the area of sickness, lies, and torment. And then he introduced me into a place of understanding about righteousness, about his righteousness. I made this quote a few days ago or maybe a week ago on Facebook, and it was A.W. Tozier. And he said, the only sin that Jesus ever had was ours. And the only righteousness we can ever have is his. That's good news. That's good news. Because that means we were on the cross with him when he took our sins upon him so that he could give us his righteousness. His goodness. And that, man, that's a, that's a good story. We are all new creations. We're not sinners just saved by grace. Now, even though that, that phrase is true, we are sinners saved by grace, there's so many leaders and pastors and different people in church circles who start with that phrase on Sunday mornings 
with some of their messages. And they do it such an injustice because it's not who we are. Not anymore. It's not who we are. We've become, using language like that, without clarity, is just absolute stupidity. Because it separates us from our true identities. It separates us from who he's died, what he died for, and it puts even more distance between us and who we really are in him. Now we are his kids. We are saints. We've been redeemed. We've been given his righteousness so we can partner with Father God. Amen? Yeah, and, you know, we've all beca- we've become new creations, and when we're born again in Christ, we're, all, we're not working for victory. We're working from his victory. So if you're trying to do life from a place, I'm just trying to make this happen. I'm trying to make this work. And you're not understanding that it's not from a place of trying. It's from a place of resting in him. Craig said that during transition. It's from resting in him. It's like Laura coming into agreement with, hey, okay, Father God, I can't make this happen on my own. You need to, you need to help me in this. So I'm asking you, you to come in, and you're the victor. I know you're going to bring victory in my life. And when you come from a stance like that, we begin to see what God can do in our life. All the struggles we have, all the identity issues that we have, begin to have to bow their heads at the feet of Jesus. And, you know, I think there's a lot of... Why do so many Christians today still struggle with identity issues? And there's a lot of reasons, but one of the ones I'm going to point out, and I've said this before is because Western Christianity still has a love affair with punishment. And uh, why do they? Because without punishment, there is no control. And if there is no control, that means we have a free will. And let me tell you something. (laughs) In so many circles, that's way too scary. It's way too scary... And so what we end up doing as people is we create disempowered environments that are super restrictive, that have unhealthy authority. But we have to understand, okay, that God has always, always given us choices. Always. And a lot of us have experienced in different circles that we didn't have any choices. You either think this way or do it this way or you're not going to be welcome. Or you're not going to be accepted. And that's not who God is. Because we look at what God, what did God do with Adam and Eve? He gave them choices. Why did God have to make it hard on the rest of us? Why did he put two trees in the garden? Why couldn't he have just put one tree? Why did he have to put any of those trees in the garden? He could have solved us such a headache and a big problem. Well, the reason why he did that, because he wanted them to have a choice. He he didn't want them to serve and love a dictator. He wanted them to love a father. And, of course, the enemy came in and brought uh, contention and brought offense and brought all those things that ended up causing man to sin in the first place. But he always gives us choices. He gave, he gave Abraham a choice to follow him into a land that he did not know. Abraham had the, he had the choice whether to do it or not to do it. And thank goodness he did do it. Because it's through that that the promises that God had promised his answers are throughout the generations was able to manifest and come to pass. We see Moses had a choice to keep his position as a prince of Egypt 
or to leave Egypt and follow God. He gave him a choice. I, I don't think we've ever thought about that. Like, Moses was living the high life, guys. He had it made. But he, he had it made in the physical. He had it made in the natural. But he didn't have it made in the spiritual. And that's what he was lacking. And so God gave him a choice. You're going to follow me? You need to come out of here and separate yourself from these people. And that's what he did. And then we see that God gave the children of Israel a choice. And Deuteronomy 30, 19, I'm just going to read it. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, Today, today I have given you the choice between life and death, blessings and curses. And he said, now choose life so that your children may live. And we see how that turned out. For generations, hundreds of years, Israel would choose God. Then they wouldn't choose God. And every time they would fall out of walking away from the Lord, they would fall into bondage because they were doing their own thing. And they had pulled away from God's promises. And so, but God gave them the choice. I mean, it, it just baffles me. It's like, man, he, he's, he's not afraid of you making messes. You know why? Because we can clean them up if we let him help us clean them up. But we live from a place of understanding that God is not restrictive, that God is, he gives us choices, and he wants to lean into who we are. You know, and why, why do so many people struggle with identity? And, and, you know, a lot of it is we're all products of our environment, from our home, home life to our religious environments. It becomes the lenses we view ourselves uh, are through, is what's shaped in every one of these environments. And, and let's just face it, there is no such thing as perfect people, just perfect intentions. And because of that, all of us come out of um, some kind of dysfunction in our life. Yeah, you came out of some dysfunction, I promise you, everybody did, because you're, you're not perfect. Our families aren't perfect, even though you might have been raised in a great family. There's still things that are being modeling that don't necessarily, whether it's in our church environments or even in our home environments with our family, that don't always model kingdom alignment. And when we recognize that, that's when we need to understand that it's our responsibility to realign our identity with who he says we are. And that comes through understanding what we receive when we are born again. And what he says about who we are after we're, after we're born again. And religion has always been based on man's ability to achieve God's approval through their, through their own achievements. That's what religion is. That's why Jesus could not stand this, the scribes and the Pharisees because they were always working and doing things on their own abilities, trying to show everybody that, hey, we're perfect and we're righteous, and it's because we do all these things, and it's because we keep all the statutes and all the laws that God has commanded. And, you know, here's the deal. We no longer have to work for love, for the love of God or the approval of God, but we work from his love. Does that make sense? We don't have to work for it anymore. We work from his love. And so many of us have gotten into a place because we don't understand, we've allowed our identities to be impacted by wrong models, we feel like sometimes we have to work for the love of God. Like, God's displeased with me if I don't do this or this or this or this. Not just because what has been, what we see, but what we've been told because of manip manipulation and control. 
And we've all experienced it. We've all experienced it. And so this is kind of like a refresher thing that we need to understand that, you know, we, we have to recognize that we no longer have to work for the approval or the love of God, but we work from His love and we step into God's blessings and approval. And under the new covenant, we attain it by faith through Christ. Hebrews 8, 7 says, I love this. Hebrews 8, 7 says, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. You you hear that? For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. That means that the new covenant is a better covenant than the old covenant, and the old covenant was never meant for you to have to live under because it wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. It was, it was a based on man's ability to achieve God's approval and his love. And God knew that you would never, as a human being, be able to keep those laws. He knew that. That's why he sent Jesus. Uh, we, we see in Deuteronomy... When it's talking about the blessings and the curses. And this is why, this is why he did it. In Deuteronomy 28.1, let me just read this real quick. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do some of his commandments, says all of his commandments, which I command to, uh, to do, I command this day that the Lord thy God will then set thee on high above all the other nations. And all these blessings will come on top of you or come on thee and overtake thee. Okay? So that's what happens in the old covenant. If we keep the commandments and we keep not just some of them, we keep all of them, then what happens? Then we receive the blessings. But flip over to 2815 And here's the bad news. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the Lord's voice and the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command to you this day, that all these curses will come upon you. Bummer. Bummer. And that's what I love about this passage in Hebrews because he's basically pointing out there's no way that we as people can keep all these statues and these commandments. And, you know, this does not mean, but I, I do want to say this, it does not mean that obedience to God's will is optional. It doesn't mean that being obedient to God's will is optional. As a new creature in Christ, as somebody who's being saved, you are still obligated to follow your heart and follow who he is and follow the letter, not of the law, but the, the love, the love, sorry, I went, skipped on that one. Not the letter of the law, but the law of love. Okay. You're to follow that. And we've got to understand doing all these things is a byproduct of being saved because as sons and as daughters and as his kids, we, we move from having to do these things to wanting to do them because, we, for, because of our love for him and because of what he did for us. Amen? And in this new covenant, we've been adopted as royalty into God's family. So Everybody say, I'm royal. And it says, now we are heirs. And it's not based on what we did. It's based on what he did. Put up uh, the next slide, Romans 8, 14 through 17. I want to read this. It says, for as many... 
as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Just think about that for a minute. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. And in my personal interpretation, what I see, what he's saying, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, you have not been put back under the letter of the law. You have been freed from that. You have been freed from it. And th- th- because fear is connected to the letter of the law, because if you didn't uh, obey the complete letter of the law, what happened? You were punished. Okay? But ye have received the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That's right. Abba, Father. And, and let me tell you something. Uh, and I'll probably say this because I have a different perspective than most people. But when, when the spirit of adoption comes on you and he's adopted you into, that, into, your fam- into his family, it's actually even a greater love than if he was your, say, natural parent. You know why? Because he chose you. He chose you. He didn't have to put up with you just because you were born and you were his kid. Now, I'm not knocking us having kids saying, oh, well, hey, I had my regular kids, and it's like I didn't get to pick who my kids were. They just came out, you know. But I think that is so cool because when you're adopted, it means that somebody got to choose whether they wanted to adopt you or not. And it's not based on who you are, or what you do, or what you did. It's based on pure love. It's based on pure love. And man, that is, that is the beautiful thing about this, this verse. You have received the spirit of adoption, where we cry, Abba, Father. 16, the spirit itself beareth, beareth witness with, and if, that we are the children of God. And if the children, if And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. So what what that's saying is, if Jesus knew, the only sin Jesus knew was the sin that he took was our sins on the cross, then we were were in him when he died. And then when, when he rose, we were glorified with him. Amen? Amen. And, and, Therefore, we have his glory, we have his breakthrough, we have his nature, and we have everything that is attained that is connected to that. I love what uh, Dano McCollum says. Anybody know who Dano McCollum is? Yeah, I've got a few people. Uh, he said, your death and your burial with Christ in baptism is your closure with your old nature. That means your old nature is a closed subject. Totally closed subject. And you're, you know, I'm sure all of us are sitting saying, I've heard all this stuff before. And, uh, but here's, here's the deal. Again, salvation creates proper identity. We can no longer earn God's love and acceptance. We receive it by faith in his son Jesus. And, and Jesus, man, I love this because Jesus demonstrated this in a lot of the stories he told. And he also, when, when he was when he was talking to his disciples, and his disciples said, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? What did he start off with? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He started out with saying, call him your Father. And there's 
there's another passage that he, he tells a story, and we're all really familiar with it, but I'm going to read it because it, it's, it's so good. Uh, and it's the story of the prodigal. And he said, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they begin to celebrate. Do you know that is a perfect picture of who you are? That is a perfect picture of who you are. That is the father, how he feels about you when you came, when he came looking for you and he found you. You came to him with all your sin. You came to him with all your mistakes, with all the things that you had done wrong. And you said, I'm not worthy to be saved because I am, I'm just worthless. And there was so much shame attached to it. Am I the only one that had experienced that? Okay. But here is a perfect picture of Jesus telling a story, saying that the Father is there, and he says, I don't care about all that stuff. You're my son, and today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to celebrate you, and I'm going to give you back everything that the enemy stole from you. I'm going to put my ring on your finger. I'm going to put a robe on your back, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a party for you. That's how God feels about you. And that's what he's given you. He's given you an inheritance because you're an heir, just like the prodigal son was an heir. Even though he had made a lot of poor choices, he was still an heir. It didn't change the fact that he was an heir. For all of us, it does not change the fact that you've missed it. Or that you've made mistakes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've sinned. It doesn't matter if you've gone, gone out and done something that you feel like is the unforgivable thing that can't be forgiven. God loves you. And he's forgiven you. And he's welcoming you back into his house. All day long. All day long. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's a free gift. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn what God has given to you. You can't work for it. You can't uh, be good enough. You can't go out and try to do, uh, uh, you know, you can't read the Bible enough. There's nothing that you can do to earn what God has given to you. It's a free gift. It comes without any strings attached because it's given from a place of love. Romans 8.3 says, um, what the law couldn't do because it was weak, God basically sent his son to be perfect through him. Did you know there were over 613 laws that the Jewish uh, culture ab abided by? 613 laws. We, we think about just the Ten Commandments. 613 laws. This is what Jesus came to die for, to ratify and to totally flip the script so that you don't have to do it through a place of working or through legalism, but basically just coming in and says, hey, I've got a gift for you. I'm going to give you eternal life. 
I'm going to give you my precious promises, and I'm going to give you the, the gift of, of my love, and you can't do anything to, to receive it. You just, I mean, you can't do anything to earn it. You're just going to have to receive it. You know, it's almost too good to believe, right? You guys remember when you came to the Lord, how it felt like it was too good to believe? Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I was a worse sinner than all of you guys in this room. Because I remember really plain uh, how I felt when I came to the Lord. I, I really do. It, it, it felt like it was too good to believe. It felt like, uh, no, if he really knows what I did, there is no way God is going to receive me. And, um, but, you know, for many of us in the church, they're still hanging on old covenant principles, trying to earn it, having to work for it, trying to be good enough, and you're never going to, to be bit good enough. Ever, ever. And, you know, a lot of this, again, why do so many people struggle with their identities? Because of wrong teaching about who we are in Christ. So many of our, you know, denominations, they, they, we call mixed theology. They add the Old Testament with the New Testament, and you can't, you can't do that because they're for two separate times and for two separate things. And when you put the two together, Paul said, you nullify the grace that's on it. And you either have to live by the law and die by the law, or you, you live by grace, and you live by grace and faith. Do I? Yeah, I choose grace too. It's, it's so much better to, work, to live from. So the question I want to pose to you again today is, you know, which side of the cross are you going to live by? If you guys put that slide up for me. So <laughs> this, is, this is pretty, you know, pretty a telling thing, but it's it's... Jesus paid, he paid for everything for you. And as we step into understanding who we are as sons and daughters and how we're to be conscious of that, that's where we see life. That's where we see our identities come alive. You know, if on one side of the cross, if you come with the perspective of, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I'm just an orphan, and you become, you're so sin conscious, you're not aware of what God did in your life. It feels like he's conditional, he's distant. He feels like a servant, you feel like a servant or a slave, and, and you always feel or see God as a master and not as a loving father. Versus on the other side, when you got a son and a daughter, they're very God conscious because they understand that God's love is unconditional. And he's close and he's intimate. And it feels like when you're in his presence that he's your dad and you're a son and you're a daughter. And you see God as a loving father. We move to the other side and it says, if you're viewing yourself as from the wrong identity, from a wrong place of, of being in him, and you feel like you're justified by works, then you have to live by the love of the law, which is you're having to do things in your own strength, and you're constantly having to do it. But being justified by his righteousness, we live, we live by the law of love. Galatians 2.21 says, uh, Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness uh, comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. Did you hear that? He said, if righteousness comes by me earning it, then Christ died for nothing. He died for nothing. So we, we've got to understand that when we, have, when we get in a place where there's this, we have to shift our mind, we have to shift our thinking and understand that, hey, our identity, when it 
proper identity when it's aligned with salvation always comes to the place of I'm a son and a daughter. I am an heir. I'm a royal priesthood. If you stay on the side over here where you say, hey, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and you're having this orphan mentality, and you're living from a place where you're recognizing your old nature, and you're constantly focused on sin, constantly focused on sin, versus you have a new nature now. We know that because Ephesians 4, and 24 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. When I got saved, the old me passed away. The things that I used to do passed away. Now, did I still have a sin nature? No, because I have a whole new nature. I'm no longer living uh, from a place of the old nature. But as in the new nature, there's times where it's kind of like having a habit. You, 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 you get into a habit of doing something, and you have a sin habit. You just have to break that sin habit. And that's constantly, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He built in a, an escape plan for you. He's not condemning you. He's not judging you. He's saying when you recognize that you're not doing something that's displeasing to me, then you need to just repent from it and I forgive you. Totally forgive you. He already paved the way for that. You come to this other place of looking at yourself as a sinner versus being a son and a daughter, and it's based on you expect judgment and you expect punishment. You see God as a punisher and fully expect his wrath and his judgment. And if they displease him or sin, uh, he's, he's going to drop the hammer on them. And that comes down to, actually, I wasn't supposed to say bad. It's called, I call that bad dad theology because we're looking at our father as a punisher and a judge, and he's not. Versus coming from a place of a son and daughter, we look at grace and freedom. Sees God as a loving father and authority in this life that gives them freedom in their choices without fear of punishment when they miss it or sin because of the blood of Jesus. Somebody say amen. I just want to encourage you today that it's time to reclaim our identities. Reclaim the identities that he's already given us in Christ. You know, in Genesis 1.11, it said, God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And for the next four, uh, many, many verses, it goes on like that, after its kind, created after its kind. And then in Genesis 1.26 and 28, it says, God said, let us make man in our image after, the li- after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Amen? It does not say that he created humanity in its kind, but in the likeness of him after his kind. That's good news. Because when you were born, you were born in the image of God. You were also born in the image of your parents, okay? But mankind originated from his likeness, his image, and you are primarily a spiritual being, okay, that's having a physical experience right now. You're a spiritual being just having a physical experience right now. 
Who you really are is a spiritual being. It's not this body. I mean, it is. Your, your body's holding your spiritual being. It's holding your soul. But you're, 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 the stuff that we encounter on this earth right now is just bumps in the road. It's just bumps in the road. And we were designed to lean into, it says, the, son, that, uh, the sons of God or those that are, are led by the Spirit are those that are the sons of God. Why? Because they're being led by their spirits. They're not being led by their flesh. They're not being led by the things that are going on around them. You were designed and crafted and molded in your mother's womb. He literally gave you, and I'm not a scientist, so I'm going to probably butcher this, but he gave you DNA unlike any other human on this planet. And the human genome, I guess that's how you say it, is said to contain over 6 billion nucleotide. I think that's how you say it. If, if it's not, y'all don't hurt, throw rocks at me, okay? 6 billion nucleotide or DNA. Six billion, each person in here, six billion. That's incredible. You know what that means? There is not one person in here that's like another person. Why? Because there is a part of God that is in you that's not in every other person that he's created. Six billion. There's a part of God in you that's not in every other person. That means that when you walk into this room, you get to be you, I get to be me, and people get to experience who we are because of him. And if you, if you walk in that understanding, then, then others, if you don't walk into that understanding, others will never really get to meet the real you. And... <laughs> Again, it says we were made in the likeness of God, which means there is, again, a section of your DNA that no one else has. And that glimpse of God accepts you. You carry a part of that God that I don't know. And I carry a part of God that you don't know. And if you don't know and don't walk in your proper identity and authority in light of who you were created to be, and redeemed to be into his likeness, then we will, not get to meet, we will not get to meet that part of you. It's so important. I mean, it's, it's so, so important. And uh, that's why when we think less of ourselves, or we feel like we're unworthy, you rob the rest of us from a part of God's image. And we need to be viewing ourselves as, hey, we're, we're special. We're holy. We're wonderfully and fearfully created. And that there's a part of me, there's a part of God that's inside of me that nobody else has. And if I don't understand that part of me, and I don't understand that my identity is solely resting in Him, the people around me are not going to get to experience that. Because I'm not going to carry myself like that. I'm not going to carry myself the way He created me to carry myself. And let's put up this next slide. There's two things uh, we need to uh, come to. In, in conclusion, knowing who you are in Christ invites people around you on the journey of discovering who they are in an encounter with, he, in an encounter with heaven's kingdom. Let me say that again. Knowing who you are in Christ invites people around you on a journey of discovering who they are in an encounter with heaven's kingdom. I remember, uh, I'll tell you a quick little testimony. I remember a long time ago, and this one particular one just popped up in my head, uh, I, I went to another state to connect with somebody, and 
there was the purpose of me going to share share the Lord with them uh, because it was a friend of mine's son. And uh, we were in Alabama, and uh, it just happened. We just ended up out in the woods scouting. We were deer hunting, doing stuff like that. And uh, we got down into this old creek bed, and uh, I began to just talk to this other person. And all of a sudden, I just really felt like the Lord just said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come on you, and I'm going to start using you to, to share who you are with this other person. And literally, I felt the power of God come over me, and I began to shake, and words started coming out of my mouth that I could have never articulated. And when this person heard it, literally broke down, fell to the ground, started crying, and received the Lord in a creek bed in Alabama. That happened because I allowed Christ to use me, and I, I believed that my identity in him, I was worth, worthy of it, and that I could obey and hear what he was saying. And because I did that, this young man had an encounter with God. And that's what we carry. That's who we are. And when you know who you are and you're in securing your identity, it introduces those around you, not to just God as the creator, or in some cases we hear people talk, oh, supreme being, but to God the Father, to God as a real person, a loving Father. And, and that's what our identity in Him can do when we walk in our identities. We, we lean into the truth that we're new creatures and we have uh, an inheritance in Him and that we're able to walk in a place where people will experience God because of the life that we live. Not, it doesn't have to be a perfect life, just a submitted life, just a life that you're saying, hey, God, if, if you tell me to do that, I'll go do that today. And when you, do, when you obey him, he, he shows up and he does things. And so whenever you hear a little voice in your head sometimes that says, hey, you should go do this or you should go do that. Um, I think one time L'Oreal was telling, Chloe was telling me about, uh, she had you driving in the car and she felt like they were supposed to stop to, to some homeless person on the side of the road. You remember that? And she, y'all didn't stop. And she got so frustrated and angry because she's like, I just know that I, was, that, was supposed to, that I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to be obedient and do that. And when we don't do that, when we, it's, it's funny how when we lean into the crazy stuff that we think, oh, that would, God wouldn't tell me to do that. Oh, yeah, he would. Yeah, because he, he wants you to take, how do you, how do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. It's always partnered with risk. Because the biggest problem we have is Christians and people that follow after the Spirit is we're afraid of what we're going to look like if we're doing something crazy, right? How many times have you been robbed of what God wants to do in somebody else's life because it feels like, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy if I do this? Crazy's good. When the, Spirit, when the Spirit's leading you, it's good. Crazy is good because He shows up because you're yielded to Him. Amen. All right, well, that's all I got to say today. So you guys are awesome. Craig, you want to come up and close out of here today? Bless you guys. Come on, give God praise. What an awesome, awesome word, teaching. How many are grateful for the teaching gift that Pastor Chris has to really make things simple so that we can take it and apply it and begin to activate it? I want you to stand to your feet and... Um, 
couple of things we'll do here is an activation. If you would, when we come to this point, if you can, this is not the time to run to the restroom or hurry out, but we're really going to receive this word. Close your eyes and hold your hands out in front of you. We're going to do some declarations in just a minute around what Chris just taught. But um, right now, I really felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to do this. So every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you're in this room right now, I believe the Father is inviting you to leave the pig pen that you've been in. Where you're eating the slop, the slop, you're eating less than what God intended you for. And you're in a life that you hate right now. And this is not everybody, but you're in a life you hate. You don't have the answers. You don't know what to do. You feel alone. And you know that Jesus paid for something, but you're not seeing it in your life. You're not seeing the evidence of the change and the transformation. And I want to challenge you that I believe you can, you know, you can pray the prayer of salvation but never fully receive the inheritance that was actually given to you. You can have the title of a Christian, but you're not actually seeing the fruit of it in your life. And I believe it comes when the light turns on, when Chris, what he just taught, when that becomes in a, a part of our understanding, we then move into a place where we can receive it into our life. Our marriage changes, our finances change, our disposition, our joy All of that changes. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room and you want to be, you want to live fully in what Chris just taught. You are tired of living in the slop. And you want Jesus to come all over again. You want to receive him fully as the Lord of your life, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you're ready for him to come in and create change. You're ready for him to turn things around in your life. You want a new beginning. If you're in, that, in this room and that's you, I feel the anointing of an evangelist to invite you into that right now. I just want you to simply raise your hand and say, that's me. I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to call you out. I see that hand. Yes, sir. The Lord had already put you on my heart. Yes, sir. You want to accept Christ all over again. You're ready. Jesus, you know, I accepted you in acknowledging that, yes, you did go to the cross, but I did not accept that you actually loved me enough that you were willing to give me a life that I never thought I could have. Anybody else? I see that hand. I want you to pray this prayer. Jesus, come on, Jesus. I want everybody to pray it. Jesus, come into my life. I invite you into every area. I want everything that you paid for. All of my inheritance. Clean out the junk in my life. Take, you know, I want you to say this. You called me to be a new creation. And all old things are passed away. I ask you to take the old things away. And make everything brand new. I want you to put your hand on your mind right now, your head. Lord, change my thinking. Get rid of my stinking thinking. Give me a renewed mind. Open my eyes and my ears to see who I really am in you. I receive salvation fully. Come on, I receive it fully. 
And I thank you. This is my new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, if you prayed that prayer, give God a praise, all of us. But here's, a, here's what, here's, I want us to do a declaration. I want you to repeat after me. I want you to say, I am powerful. I am glorious. I am outright awesome. I am amazing. I am God's greatest creation. He loves me to death. I rock. I was born to do greater works than Jesus. Come on. I was born for glory. Nations are attracted to me. I have the mind of Christ. Therefore, I think like God. He is my inheritance. And I am his inheritance. He actually lights me. I like me too. And if people got to know me, they would like me. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a son and a daughter that lives in the house of my father. And it's a great big house filled with many, many rooms. I am clothed in favor. I am clothed in wisdom. I am clothed in righteousness. I have supernatural wisdom to solve difficult problems. We're almost done. I'm a world changer. I'm a history maker. Come on, y'all need to say it like you mean it. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. I'm one of a kind. I'm a royal heir. And I live in everything the Father has provided for me. One more. Creation knows who I am. The devil knows who I am. God knows who I am. The angels know who I am. And today, I fully know who I am. Come on, give God a praise for that. Woo! I felt, an, I felt faith in the room. Now listen, some of you say, well, why do I do that? Philemon, verse 6, there's not only one chapter. It says that your faith is increased by the acknowledging of every good thing that you have in Christ. When you acknowledge who you are with your words, and what I, the reason I did that is I want you to, anytime you feel like he's trying to pull you back to the pit pen, you go back and you begin to declare who you are in him. You need to put it on. My wife has a, on her mirror in her bathroom, and every day when she goes in, if she don't feel good, if she doesn't feel, you know, just struggling, she goes and she declares it over herself in the mirror. When you do that, your faith changes. So, awesome. And th there were like four or five people that raised their hand. There was a bunch of hands, but I felt like there were four or five today that went from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Yeah. And so, um, do we want to have people down or do it in the... Let's, let's do this. If, um, if you need prayer, we'll go ahead and come. Chris, yeah, and come on up. Uh, Bill, Bill, come on, come on up here. If you, you guys can come. Yep. Come on. And you come. Today we're going to commission, if it's okay, come on up. I feel like there's going to be people in here that need prayer. And what we want to invite you to do is we want to pray for you. If there's anything you need, you're believing God for. And really, if this message touched your heart, but you don't know what the next step is, you just need a little encouragement, adds to a little touch. We want to invite you to come down, and we're going to pray for you. Listen, do one more thing. Take your cell phone out. 
go to on Facebook, go to Resurgent ATL. When you get there, scroll down. How do they find the event for next Sunday? We're going to do this together. Okay, right when you open the page, it says featured upcoming events. Go ahead and click on that. And scroll down. There should be, it should have the event for next Sunday. Is not on there? Oh, wow. I was ahead of myself. <laughs> more. So click on more and then events. More than events. Sorry, I'm not real techie. And then you see at the very top, this NetSuite, Blake Healy. And what I want you to do is I think if you just click on going, it automatically shares it, I believe. So just add that to your calendar and share it. Just go ahead and share it. If everybody shares, that's somebody that we've invited. I believe it's going to be incredible next week. Father, I bless everybody here today. What an incredible word. Father, let that word just marinate in us this week. Let us walk fully in it. Let us be totally, completely transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, if you need prayer, come up. We'll pray for you. Love you guys. See you next week. It's going to be incredible. You might want to get here early. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be packed out. We're going to have a great time. Have a great week. For more resources and information about Resurgent ATL, please visit our website, 